You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChapaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, but it's the show where you can on the Broadway Podcast Network. I am so excited for my guest today. She is a force of nature. I first heard her at a 50-50 by 2020 event sponsored by Jill Soloway. That was the first time I heard her do a poem. Wow. I have since been <laughs> online listening to her and uh, just just the energy, the power that exudes from her pores. Please join me in welcoming Stacey Ann Chen. Listen, I just want to be able to say like that your spiel, you know, I, I do a lot of like podcasts and like I step into a lot of spaces where people are like kind of leading into the show. I'm like, you've got a real voice for like TV for like... <laughs> I'm like, that's so flawlessly done. You didn't have to do a second take for almost anything. That's nice. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to like <clears throat> get my radio voice on. Get your radio voice on. You are, uh, you're just, you're so dynamic. I was listening to poems of you for, of yours on YouTube today and just thrilled. Um, so we are here um, for this conversation, but I don't want to just leave us in this one conversation because there's so much that is dynamic and wonderful about you that I want people to know about, but a couple of weeks ago, I got a text from you yes. inviting me to a salon at your house that seemed to be a continuation of a group of salons you'd been having with women who wanted to talk about slave play. Yes, 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 yes. I have women in my house like all the time. Lots of times they're like good men who are allies and lots of times there are lots of white people who come in and are, you know, you know, they know they have to talk about race and those kinds of things when they come through my doors. But in my 20s, I moved here in my 20s from Jamaica. And one of the things that I noticed in, um, in New York is like, I don't know, people, maybe they live in small apartments. They don't want to have people in their house. Mm. And I come from Jamaica where people stop off from work. They gather at each other's houses. They're in the front yard cooking. They're like, just like the house, the, the home is a very dynamic place yes. that has and I know the South is like that here as I'm well. I'm from Chicago and I had five generations under one roof. So I like so that. Right. So noise and people and conversations and we could be loud and no one feared that we were we were arguing or killing each other. Right. That it was just like, I disagreed with you and I'm going to disagree with you loudly. Yes. So um, when I, in my 20s, I, you know, and 30s, as soon as I got an apartment, I, mine was weekly. People would come by, you know, young black lesbians, you know, young, not so lesbians, young. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know and just like uh, uh, you know the most amazing people used to come through and 
just, you know, on a Saturday night, you could just come to Stacey Ann's house because there would be I wine and there would be conversation and there would be talk. And my, my house is a drop-in house. If you know me, you can just kind of, you can ring my doorbell and, wow. and, and come up um, because I'm Caribbean. I'm a Jamaican girl who likes company. I don't go to work every day. I don't have co-workers. That's my great sorrow. I have no co-workers. <laughs> and so I like when people come by to chat. And uh, I went and saw this slave play. Did you see that New York Theater Workshop are on Broadway? Um, I saw it on Broadway. Okay. And um, I saw it with two white friends. Um, and lots of people were like, no, you got to go on the night that's... Um, black night. The black night. And it just didn't work out because I have an eight-year-old kid and I have to just be home when I have to be home. And so the night I could go to see it was when my friend who, you know, went and got two tickets and said, you should come with us. And I went and uh, I was so bloody shocked. Like what you shocked about? And, you know, not shocked by like the content because I had a sense of kind of like... You know, I didn't read a lot about it. I just knew, you know, like um, I had a lover who was like, you should go see this. You should definitely go see this. You have to go see Slave Play. But because we were in a, a strange relationship that, you know, um, if you want to ask me questions about it later, I can answer. Was it but an interracial relationship? No, it wasn't interracial. So it was a black person who but, said. You know, but we were mm -hmm. like, we were, we, were, we were navigating a lot of things. And so, you know, I, one of the ways in which I was being passive aggressive was like, I'm not going to go see something if you say I should go see it. <laughs> okay. So I didn't go to see it. And then it just happened that I went to see it. And um, I was sitting in the front in the second row. Oh, that's very close. I know. And all of the, you know, the body fluids and the proximity. Oh, my God, I, I mean, imagine. the licking of the boots and the slurping and the spitting and the proximity to someone's vagina. I don't know personally. I mean, <laughs> just very like, you know, uh, and, and then I didn't quite know what was happening because, as I said, I wasn't reading what the play was about. And so when this woman came out kind of dressed in this, you know, kind of like stereotypical Doctor. garb of like the black woman on a plantation oh. and then she started twerking to 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 work, to, work, to work, Rihanna work. and yeah. I, I was like so I was like I, I was confused at first and then by the time she started eating the watermelon slash cantaloupe, cantaloupe like I was losing my mind okay you were upset not upset, just like in deep shock. Okay. Because I had never seen anything like this. Okay. But I was upset too, but I don't think I could get to the upset because I was still so shocked. And I'm sh unshockable. I'm the one who talk about like vaginas <laughs> and like, you know, I mean, like you, you, if you listen to my work, you know what my vagina looks like, what it feels like, how it talks. You're, I'm not, I'm an open book, so to speak. But this thing was remarkably provocative and crazy and... You know, I, 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 it shocked me and, and I watched the whole play and I watched, you know, the dynamics between the people and some of it was very clever and some of it was very witty, but I don't know if I got to the place where I thought that the black woman's story should have been presented for this kind of consumption in this way. And what is this kind of consumption? Um, I, I feel like, um, I feel like the play... You know, I can't, I can't, you know, I'm not about to censor anybody, so I can't say what shouldn't be done. I can just say what it made me feel. Yeah. Um, I felt as if the, the, the black woman's character wasn't, it wasn't given, a, a, the nuance was missing from it. Um, so this black woman needs to be treated as if she were a slave, she needs to enact the violation of rape 
and uh, the violation of the power dynamics between her and the white massa and or plant or overseer as the I, I you know I I I don't know and then we didn't get deep enough into why and how because I can't be policing other people's fantasies. So I can get turned on by just about anything. I mean, people, when they close their doors, they should be able to like fuck and, you know, according to D.H. Lawrence, to eat and fuck and crow. They should be able to do all those things. I mean, without any kind of like, you know, moral police, you know, exactly. in the bedroom. But the question is, how do we publicly consume a black woman's desire, which has stuff to do with like violation and rape on it without talking about what it does to us and who is articulating it and who is consuming it. Because the night I went, the fact that they only have like a black night now and then means that the audience was not that black. Correct. So I'm in the room with all these white people who are kikiing and laughing and like snickering and sniggering to all kinds of comments and jokes about racism and about slavery and about sex and rape and plantation rape. And I couldn't get with it. I couldn't, I couldn't crawl into it. And I, I think I'm like as radical as they come, but I couldn't get with it. I, I, I can, I can, I mean, I had a completely different experience of it for me. Having dated predominantly white men, it was like he had written my life hmm. and he had written an aspect of my life in relationships with white men that I was like, you know, you think how can, could, could anyone even understand this dynamic of, um, I think another friend of mine and I were talking about, like, like why do we date white men? Well, for me, dating white men is because most black men don't want to date me. I'm too much trouble. I'm, you know, I'm a lot of work. I can see uh, that. So they, <laughs> right, they don't want to, they don't want to date me. Right. So for a white man, I'm, I'm easy and they provide a bit of access. Um, they certainly have more discretionary income. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be Lord have mercy, you up in here preaching, you up in here reading people's right. lives. <laughs> they can be sympathetic to my troubles in a way that a white woman probably can be to a black man, where it's two black people together. It's like we both had a hard day. You know, nobody's getting any extra sympathy today right, on that. Right, 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 right. But I have always longed for relationships with a black man, that, that knowingness of something. And, you know, I just haven't, I've had a couple and mm-hmm. if they haven't been successful. So most of my relationships have been with white men. And there is this dynamic that slave play got for me from the very beginning that to me what white supremacy, and it isn't a color melanin thing, is that they want to get to be whatever they want to be whenever they want to be it. And you must revolve around their need to be whatever they want to be. And to me, that's what that play showed. Like... When the white man didn't want to uh, to uh, participate in this thing that made him so, so uncomfortable. Correct. He mm-hmm. didn't want to be uncomfortable for mm-hmm. the sake of her sexual pleasure. Exactly. And that was like, oh, don't I know the truth of that? I had literally, uh, like a week before the, seeing the play, I had been taking a class at the academy with Kasia Urbaniak, and it was about women's empowerment, and we were learning about subbing and doming, mm-hmm. and we were learning how to ask. Because for black women, we are uber doms. Mm-hmm. We are always serving everybody's needs, everybody's things. But we're also put in the position historically of like surviving, and surviving is about striking back. It's about hitting. It's about guarding. It's about walls. Yes, we do all of that, but... Very rarely do people serve us. Mm-hmm. Very rarely. And do. therefore, we have no comfort with it as a process. We don't. And so, this class was about me having to give up my uber domness and learn how to sub. How come you ain't calling me into this class? Oh, well, well, you know, we can get together sometime. <laughs> but I had to learn how to ask. 
And so what I had asked my white partner for was, I said, and I heard this was something somebody else had said. And I was like, I cried when I heard you could even ask for something like this. I asked him if he would, um, when I came home, would he undress me, Mm -hmm. tuck me into bed, Mm -hmm. make me a cup of tea, Mm -hmm. and leave? (laughs) (laughs) And what did this man say, pray tell? Well, he did it. Mm -hmm. And it was sensuous. It was erotic. It was, it was cozy, it was cherishing, it was comfortable. I loved it. It was lovely to not have to give back, to have to feel that everything was transactional, like someone just gave to me and I got to receive. Mm. Now, he refused to ever do it again. No way. He accused me of being a lesbian for even asking. And it became an ongoing fight that this thing that was 10 minutes that I said was fantastic for me, he would never do it again. And needless to say, he is no longer in my life. And to me, that was what slave play showed me, that these white partners, they're so used to you doming them, you either... telling them what to do or screaming at them or listening to them and comforting because it them. triggers mm. the um the historical um na- not not narrative but the historical reality of them being the people who tell you what to do because but they still are it's yeah, not historical saying, it's like, right now systemically i mean white people decide i mean right now i'm like you know we were talking gentrification right now i'm in the middle of like the conversation about gentrification we only move as people of color when we are being driven out by white people who are needing us to go or we are being uh, corralled into a space that they, dis- they, they say that that, is, that space is ours and not theirs. Right. Like, but they make the decision about what we do when we do it. Right. All the time. They are making all the decisions, but they want to pretend that they're not. Downstairs, I went to Starbucks and, uh, you know, all the people who were serving... All the people who are making the coffee, the, you know, making the soy chai lattes are people of color. And I realized there was not one white person behind the counter serving, but almost all the patrons mm-hmm. were white. Mm-hmm. So it's a very like interesting. And when you say serve, I want to, you know, I think I'm, I'm interested in when you said like, oh, t- we aren't served. But it's an interesting that the play provided this space that the service you're asking for is not... Because I, I think that I, I have a lot of like white women friends who are willing to like, oh, what do you need? Um, let me do this for you. And it's kind of like a white savior narrative. Yeah, no, 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 so, that's not it. <laughs> yeah, but, but the service has to do with... Um, the service, the, the thing that like often white men do, they give you what they want you to have. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's not service. That's, they, they give decide. you what they want you to have. Yes. And it may be extravagant, but they don't take the time to find out if it is what you want, what you value. And I'm saying yes, not because I've dated white men, because I mean, I've never had sex with a white person. Um, you know, I came here when I was 24 and I mean, I've had like maybe two or three like kind of dalliances with like white people who because you know the you know when you get a good white person and you know it can be remarkably kind of soul filling um but i haven't been able to close the deal so to speak i've been able to (laughs) (laughs) haven't been able to to peel my honest down in any way but the 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 issue i think um but but the experience of, of 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 being with white people who only want to do what they want to do and are inflexible, unmovable with walking out of the space that makes them uncomfortable. I mean, how many times have you seen the crying white woman? Oh. We're not even talking about relationships here. I mean, you know, you date, you know, you date men, I date women. And like, it's... It's the first place they go. And I have gotten to the point where my friends go, you don't get to cry. 
you don't get to cry. I mean, I have a friend whose son is dating an Ethiopian woman. And when she comes to their house, she's always accusing them of being racist for various mm. things that they've done and said to her. And she wants to cry. And I'm like, but you don't get to cry. <laughs> That's she's the accusing point. brown people of being... No, no, no. The Ethiopian woman is accusing the the son's okay. parents and grandparents of being racist. And, and she starts crying. And I'm like, but you don't get to cry. Yeah. You have to engage. Yeah, you have to say, why are you saying that? What is this thing? Let's I've, talk. I have an eight-year-old daughter. And um, every time I tell her that she's done something wrong, her first instinct is to cry. Mm. And one of the things that I've had to work at with her and to talk her through is when you do something, and we all kind of have it in some way, but you have to learn to manage it as you move successfully through the world. You can't punch somebody in the nose and then cry because they're bleeding. Right. It's a manipulation. You know, I, I mean, and, and maybe you might feel sad about it, but that is not your primary, uh, that shouldn't be your primary focus. If you're a good person, you should be able to turn it around and say, I've hurt this person. How is it that I can help them? How is it that I can make reparations? And nobody wants to talk about reparations in this country. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, I, you know I, I had the conversation in my, in my, in my house um, with, with a bunch of black women because I believe that it, it was the one before the one I invited you to. It was a sea of black women only talking about this play. Half the room had seen the play and half had not. And so we had like a, 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 a woman in, in the room who was like a, 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 a dom. And she spoke of these men, like she, she, uh, she specialized in having um, white men as slaves, and she spoke of them as slaves and ex-slaves, right? But former <clears throat> slaves. I was like, yo, what the hell is this world? But see, that's this thing that the language, the language is very important. So in the BDSM community, the dom mm-hmm. is the servant. So these men are paying someone to pretend to be the master so they can pretend to be a slave. And many Mm. of these men would walk into a situation, the very, even the the man you might've dated who said, I'm not going to do this 10 minute thing for you no fucking more because you know, you're a lesbian. Like I'm, he would say, he would participate in a process where he was paying the person. That means he is To do the very same thing. He's still in control. Yes, to do the very same thing. But if it is that you remove the transactional nature of it, because you take away, when you remove the transactional nature, you take away his power, his paying power. You take away his power. He's no longer the initiator, the fuel, the driver of the action. And all of a sudden, you're the driver of the action. Then it makes him uncomfortable. Right, because now he's having to dom you. He's having to serve you. And by serve, it means put all your attention on the other person, figure out what they want, what they need. Is this working? Are they happy? Does that work? You know, it's like what it is to be a good lover. A good lover is a good dom. But even when it's not, you know, even when it's not sexual, I think that we as human beings really have a big struggle with like putting our own desires aside for a second. And then when you're in a position of power, like if you're a white person who's used to being in charge and calling the shots, can you imagine how difficult that might be for them? My issue with slave play wasn't that it didn't bring up so many of these very important conversations and force us to talk about this thing that we only, you know, give all these black women side eye and say, you know, how are you dating this white man? Or, you know, you look at these black men in the street and be like, oh, you know, he, you know, he with a white girl because she easy, whatever. We have these like sub narratives, all of these like tangential narratives about interracial and, and people only talk about them in this kind of flippant way where we kind of assume we understand all of it already. So it was good to actually see the conversation being had in a, in a real way and the, 
the conversations that ensued from the play. I didn't like how it ended, man. How you liked how it ended. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, I've, I've had, you know, a lot of things about that. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of interviews with Jeremy about it and with the cast about it. There's a difference between how it's written mm-hmm. and how it's played. And I asked Jeremy about hmm. that. I said, you know, that this thank you, like, what is she thanking him for? I said, because he's pathetic at the beginning and he's pathetic at the end. Mm-hmm. Is she thanking him for letting her finally see, you are never going to be able to do what I want to do? And I think that he wanted the ambiguity, that everybody in the audience walks away thinking, like some people walk away thinking, she thanked him for that? And they're mad about that. And other people are like, wow, what did that mean? Are they going to be together? Is it going to be over? So there's an ambiguity in it. You know, for me, I felt like the rape wasn't violent enough. I didn't. I felt like he still didn't step up and Yo, give her listen, what she needed. You should have come to my talk because, <laughs> I mean, I have never had the experience um, where I wanted that from a white person. Like I've always had the, the you know, the the ultimate. But also because I've never dated a white person, I don't know what where my fantasies would take me if I were to be able to right. be in a relationship with a white person. So I, you know, I speak from a place of lack of experience. <clears throat> right. Well, let me, let me say this. I was beaten horribly as a child. And, you know, the place where children get beaten is usually their butts. Mm-hmm. And so it's all around your legs. So it's all around all of your all sexual. Of your, so yes, there's yes. This, this your erotic you're getting, zone. You're yeah. being beaten. So I think that I am sort of primed for that. In fact, in some of my memories, I remember this combination of this erotic thing around excruciating pain. So, you know. I mean, but pain, I mean. Right, but I'm saying I think that the idea of pain and eroticism are linked in me because of having been beaten from like two years old. You know. I think that's maybe most people's experience. Most people won't say it in a podcast, Tanya, I will tell you. Oh, uh, well, you, you can't say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, you, can. so, you, you really can't say that in public now, but. but I'm saying it. <laughs> right. I, that's what I have. So for but me. But most people I know, you know, I mean, I've, I've, you know, made love to quite a few people in my lifetime and people respond to pain as an erotic, you know, thing, as yeah. an erotic zone, as an erotic yeah. tool, device. Right. And so, I mean, I, I met a woman who said that, like, there's a point where the pain just, you flip from pain and it just becomes a kind of a ecstasy for her. I have never gotten there and I'm not into that yet because I don't like pain. But the idea of having a, a, a white man uh, uh, be raping me has been an erotic thing that I have experienced as a fantasy. Oh, so it's like t- tapping into a kind of psychological pain. Yeah, that psychological you- pain. Yeah. Boy, hallelujah. Yeah. Jesus, I have to say some of the best sex of my life has come from that. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> my grandmother would say, come Lord, take the case and give me the pillow. 
Lord, 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 Lord. That's so interesting because, I mean, it's interesting to talk to someone who can art. And I, I actually had a young woman there. She was like of college age, like 20 years old. And she talked about that erotic place and you know a lot of the older women in the room kind of dismissed her because she was you know 20 and they were like well you know she'll come to her own like pain about you know race or whatever um but now that you I mean you know do you mind ask saying how old you are I'm 57 57 and I'm 47 so there's a way that 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 you know like you're you're no you're you know you're not a kid you're not college you're not a college kid so there's an interesting thing that's happening in my brain now like hmm have I completely misjudged this because it hasn't been my experience Mm. but you know I mean like I um you know I I you know my own sexuality is 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 kind of tied up with like abandonment and you know, um, care, like, or lack of it. Like my mother left me when I was a a baby. My father didn't come to claim me and there was no one to care for me as an infant. And so whenever anybody kind of like holds me in this way that makes me feel like I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, like my, my kid self is being cared for. That's kind of one of my erotic zones. Mm. Like, you know, and, and, and I guess maybe it's about that psychological pain, being able to kind of sit in it and be with it intimately. Mm -hmm. um, That allows you to kind of open up a little bit. Um, Yeah. It's interesting. I find that if I'm masturbating, um, my fantasies are very healthy. But if I'm with a partner, I, I like almost... like how you healthy. Well, I mean, I'm saying if I'm with a partner, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter what race they are, the, my, my fantasies are always abusive. Really? All my sexual fantasies with a partner, they're abusive. And, and it's very few times in my life that I've actually had sex with a partner where I'm actually present with them. I'm always in some abusive fantasy in my head with a, when a human, other human being is there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, <clears throat> I have a hard time... Lord have mercy. You know, you dragged me into this conversation <laughs> so early in the morning. Do you know that it's early in the morning? It's too early for this shit, Tanya. Too fucking early, man. Come on. And these, and these are conversations I should be having like, with the white women so I can have some distance. You know, and white women who are like much younger than I am so I can dismiss them. You know what I mean? It's like looking in a mirror situation is bad for me, bad for me. Um, you know, but it, it, it's, it's my own experience with like being present in a sexual space. It, you know, I, I came up as a kid with like a whole bunch of shit. Around, you know, I'm in, a, in Jamaica with no parents, no welfare system. So you can imagine all the things that happen. And if you want to read about them, you should, you know, I have a book, you know, that shows you all those things that happened to me. And and so when I come to it, it, I really struggle. Like whenever I get intimate, whenever I'm really kind of present and intimate, then I get like really scared mm-hmm. and like my emotional, my psychological self kind of flees yeah. the room. <clears throat> yeah. I, you know, and I've had some of the most amazing experiences with partners who have insisted that I remain present. present. Um, but, it, but then all the shit about like the abuse and the fantasy is also in the room because that's what you're kind of running away from when you kind of pull away from partners. Yeah. It's like you don't want to... You don't want them to see all this like dark underworld, this kind of idness, this Freudness that is sitting underneath all of what gives you pleasure. Yeah. Um, I saw you in um, Rush. Is it Rashida? Rashida speaking. Rashida speaking. <clears throat> I saw you in that play, and that was before we started to really talk about the angry black woman. Mm. Um, that was before it became like. It's what well, we, the angry black woman's been around. No, but I mean, ever. like, we started to, b- before we started to deconstruct it in the kind of way, like, now, you know, we're interested in a whole bunch of black women's stories. They're on HBO. They're, you know. Mine hasn't still hasn't, I haven't seen my story yet. <laughs> but, but they're talking about, and yes. so people are like, 
They want to know what makes her feel this way. Whereas before she was just a character. She was this maid. She was whatever. So now some people are interested in some parts of her. Yeah. And so now the conversation I think is maybe a little more nuanced, little bit more nuanced about who she is and why she does this or why she doesn't do that. And I remember that um, we hadn't really kind of bumped into the Me Too movement yet. We hadn't really bumped into 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 kind of like well you know maybe white women are taking up too much space and are not giving like black women time to speak. And uh, I, I was sitting in the audience and I was really quite moved by how you played that character as a black woman who is often like seen as I dress weird, I talk weird, my politics are weird, I'm like way too kind of like too much. way too much, you know, I argue too much, I'm always arguing about what the food that didn't come, you know, whether people didn't talk to me or not. And it was kind of like really wonderful to see you like fuck with the psychological space that black women have with like people like in a working environment mm -hmm. you know and how it made the audience you know kind of gobble it up at the <clears throat> same time and being uncomfortable at the same time mm -hmm. and we, i was never quite sure if the character was like really going crazy or if she was fucking with them yeah well, Rashi is speaking. Joel Drake Johnson just died two weeks ago. Oh. Rest his soul. Um, the character as written was written like she was crazy, like mm -hmm. she was a nut job. And I, I and you gave it nuance by and playing it like, play. no, the world is crazy. And I'm not yeah. crazy. Like, and even if I'm a little crazy, it's because I've been in this shit with y'all for so long. Yeah. Yeah, that was important to me. And then there were some things that he wrote. And I was like, no, that's just too crazy. No, we, mm. did, we guys have to cut that. No, or there were things that he wrote that just didn't feel consistent to me as a black person. Like he wanted her to swear on a Bible to a lie. I said, you know what, y'all, white people might do that. But the Bible actually has very real meaning in my culture and my community. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not swearing on a Bible. And, and, it, it, and it's <clears throat> rare that you will find a woman who feels deeply and believes and is, is centered in her life as a black woman who will swear on a Bible, yeah. on a lie. It, that's a, that's yeah. written in the play and I was like I, I'll swear on this package of wipies and I'm gonna make sure the audience can see that it's, it's some wipies, wipies. Um, though I was told later that people in the back of the house didn't know that it wasn't wipies but for me that was important I was like I'm not putting that out into the world about my culture so doing Rashida speaking was living Rashida speaking mm -hmm. I was in a room full of all white people and one South African woman of color. And I told her day one, don't even jump into conversations about race because you don't have the same experience of race that I do as an American mm. black woman. Mm. So I was living it and doing it simultaneously. Yeah, it was hard. I'm sure, I mean, you, know, I, you, know, I, you know, I can't speak to the politics of living it, but I certainly know that playing that kind of role, which is the same thing, like I, mean, I was, it was interesting that the, um, the people who put Slave Play on understood they didn't that understand the cast, anything. Well, I don't know if exactly how they, but I knew that whoever was talking about it, whoever put, whoever was fighting for the rights of the people of color who were on that stage understood. Me. Really? That was me. That understood was me. that they needed therapy? We, or, I set up every one of those talkbacks. That was me creating that whole talkback space and finding those people. I did that because what I became aware of is that these people that I was working for did not understand at all. And it was, it was really difficult to go to work and have to argue with people about what it is to be a black woman from the West side and the South side of Chicago, which I literally am. And, and they're going to tell me what I am. So I was like, Oh no, mm. we, we, I got to, I got to 
I have to, this is, you know, the play is called Rashida Speaking, and I have a monologue in that play where I say that Rashida is the new word for nigger. And, you know, for me to point out to them, so the play is called Nigger Speaking. Mm-hmm. They were like, what? Huh? Like, what do you mean? No. Like, really? Are mm-hmm. we in this much denial? I walk out of the theater and people have say, hey, Rashida. It isn't called Jacqueline speaking. That's the name of my character. My character is Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. So they were in denial about actually what they were making. And for me, because my mother was mentally ill, gaslighting is my button. So once you are like... You have a mentally ill mother? She's dead now, but yeah, she was mentally ill. As do ill. I. So that gaslighting, when you when you, we can't agree about reality, then I'm done with you. Mm. <laughs> I'm done with you. Like, when, when once we go to gaslighting, like, we can't agree that this is the color white, we're done. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins, and that was part one of my provocative conversation with Stacey Ann Chin. Come back for part two and a poem from her latest published book, Crossfire. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.